You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Okay, um, we're back. And David Pepper, the author, the activist, the patriot, the former state Democratic chair in Ohio, the founder of Blue Ohio, and the proponent of running everywhere, is back. Hi, David. Thanks for spending some of your Labor Day weekend with us. Thanks. Great to be with you again. Hey, um, for those of us interested in learning how to fight for democracy, boy, Ohio is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, after this massive effort by scores of groups, including yours, the people of the state dealt the autocrats in charge a big loss last month, right? But despite all the cynical tricks, you know, including holding an illegal election in August, you showed them what it meant. But now they're back at it. Talk about like, just, yeah. like, to let everybody know what's yeah. going on. <laughs> yeah, and, and so this is the pill. Never lose your outrage about it because we don't want to normalize it. But also never be surprised because this is what they do. The more in the corner they are, the the worse they act. They don't quit. They double down. And so what happened, I think you're, you're alluding to, what happened was, so the whole reason they tried to end direct democracy here is because we have a ballot initiative on November about a woman's right to choose and, and enshrining abortion access into the Ohio Constitution. They know it's popular. That's why they tra- try to change the rules in August. Um, so they lost, obviously. So now they're even more worried it's going to pass. So what do they do? There's something called the ballot board in Ohio. And the ballot board is the institution that takes the amendment language and provides a summary of how it should appear on the ballot. And that's basically there in case the, the, the language is really long and you shorten it so that voters can see a summary of it without reading the whole thing. Well, in this case, the, the, the amendment itself is actually very short. So they didn't even need to do anything. It, it, but what they've done is their quote unquote summary, believe it or not, and this is where you know the trouble's coming, is longer than the amendment itself. So they didn't, they didn't reduce it, which is what they're supposed to do. They made it longer. And in making it longer, they changed a lot of the language so that um, now this language doesn't have legal effect, but it's clear to it's clearly to sway voters. So they replaced the word fetus, which was referred to once by referring four times to unborn child, uh, unborn child. They they took what was uh, in the in the uh, amendment itself. It says that every Ohioan should have a right to decisions over treatment over, you know, miscarriage care or fertility or abortion. Well, they got rid of all those options and just said they have a right to treatment as opposed to decision. So it makes it look like the government's guaranteeing some kind of treatment, which is not what it is. And then the other biggie is the entire description was that it's a citizen's right that the state shall not infringe on. Well, they reverse that to say the citizens are going to be the one that are infringed on by this amendment. So the whole thing is clearly... Like George Orwell be embarrassed by this. It's, it's such an over-the-top redescription, and they made it longer. Why? Because they weren't trying to summarize it. They were trying to load it up with propaganda so that people vote no on it. I mean, that's clearly what's going on. And, and am I right that they also like the, the the entire battle on in August? Everybody was voting was told to vote no. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and now they yeah no on issue one. Yeah, now it's yes on issue one. They, yeah. they, they, they'll say, well, that was it had to be. It, they could have had it be a different number. Obviously, they don't mind that it's now the opposite vote. Um, 
but but you know so in every way basically this is a group of people who as i've been trying to say for a couple of years and more and more people are seeing it they just don't want the democratic process to play out they're afraid because they know they're in the minority so whether it's trying to change the rules in august which they failed to do or now put language on the ballot that's totally misleading that in some ways reverses the whole point of it so that people will read it and think, well, I'm voting no on that. I don't want citizens' rights in French. Well, this isn't yeah. infringing on citizens' rights. It's infringing on the state's right to impose on citizens. But they, they, they are literally sitting there. And again, people are going to ask, what do, we do, what do we do about it? Well, this will go to the Ohio Supreme Court, the same Supreme Court that allowed them to have an election that violated the Ohio Revised Code. So yeah. I hope the court says this is absolutely abuse of power, which it clearly is. Uh, but I don't count on that. So my bottom line, just like issue one in August, is just the, the people are going to have to see through it. We're going to have to make sure everyone knows before they even show up what this is really about and then have people vote yes. And um, it's easier said than done. I don't think this sinks it. I don't think people should leave this interview and think, oh, gosh, it's, it's doomed. I think we should still win. But I think it is, again, an eye opener as to how far they'll go to break the rules to abuse a power they were given to simply summarize something, and now they've rewritten it to favor their viewpoint. It just shows you that they are about using power to lock in a minority worldview, and they'll do whatever it takes to get it done. Yeah, I, I guess we're a couple years into, uh, into this, and we have not yet found where they think their bottom is. You know, um, this in Ohio is shocking and terrible, but you have guys in Texas saying, you know what, we're not going to let women leave the state. Right. Uh, um, speaking not, of no, in their, they're, in a, they're in a right-wing bubble. They're in gerrymandered districts where the only thing they worry about is the further right. So, I mean, I don't know what the, what the bottom is for them. And I just think we need to know this is how they operate. This is what they yeah. do. And when we gear up for our fight – we need to always know that. And, and, and the idea that, and I warn, I warn, I warn after Wisconsin uh, won the Supreme court race in April, they're not going to just stop and, and, and acknowledge and allow that to happen. They're going to do whatever they can to cause trouble there. Just like when we went on, when we won our Supreme court win, which we did in November of 20, we had the same victory that the Wisconsin had. They simply ignored the court for two years, threatened to impeach the chief justice and they got away with it. So just yeah. know going in that this is like this is a group of people that that's largely living in a lawless, unaccountable world where they also because they gerrymandered districts and know going in that that's how they're going to behave. And the other one that, that you would go ahead. Sorry, there are just two points that you made that I want to flesh out a little. One is on, on their lawlessness. Um, and we see that in, in Alabama today where they're doing what you did, what you're not you, what Ohio did um, by ignoring, in this case, the Supreme Court on, on, on gerrymandered districts, completely ignoring the law. Um, so they are lawless. And so, so one of the things that we need to tell people is, do you care about the rule of law in America? Do you kind of, you know, do you just want to live in a country that, that, you know, you do what the people in power tell you to do. There are plenty of countries like that in the world. There always have been. That that was sort of one. The other, though, is um, uh, you're right. They 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 didn't take uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court victory easily. Now they're thinking about impeaching the woman who who won. But there's a backlash to this. 
And you've, you've done such a good job of giving people who are uncomfortable with, with the increasingly bizarre, cruel, illegal things the right wing is doing, of giving them a ramp on which they can right. uh, get on to participate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what the good news is. And this is why I think the more plain spoken we all are about what they're doing. And I try to be. I don't mince words like I might have you know, five or six years ago. The more clear it is, I think over time they actually they're losing the political game by looking so crazy. There's a reason why every swing state election denying sector state candidate lost last November. It was yep. just too much for people. Carrie Lake and that Pennsylvania governor candidate who, who lost, and then the Secretary of State candidates, all of them looked too much, too lawless, especially for positions like Secretary of State, which everyone yeah. knows is running elections. And then you make the connection to what they will do with their lawlessness, which is things like dogs, things like chasing women down across their state. You can't even travel or if they go out of state. I mean, you connect the lawlessness and the anti democracy sort of instinct to real world results like the, the kind of nightmare scenarios you get post ops really quickly. And all of a sudden American people just say no. And that's what happened on August eighth. And we I can't remember if we've talked since then or not, but the the map that came out of August eighth, the map where Ohioans voted no, was a stunning map. It, it wasn't just blue areas showing up in big numbers in a in a special as big as almost a midterm. It was Tea Party like rural counties also voting no, and yeah. then it was sort of large suburban Republican counties either going fifty fifty or voting no. Now again, this is twenty four out of eighty eight. I don't overstate it, but when you see them losing in counties that when I campaigned in, I was prepared to be talking to Tea Party members. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a sense of lawlessness that, that cut through there where you heard people say, and there's some chunk of these voters, and I respect I respect this response, although I don't agree with them on their vote in November. People would say, well, I'm, I'm not voting yes on issue one November or the abortion access issue in November, but I don't think this is the way we should get there, so I'm voting no in August. Yeah. So there was a sense of the lawlessness, and I think you're, you're speaking to that in your question, that lawlessness is getting so egregious. The same reason that gerrymandering offends people. It's, it's cheating. It's rigging. Now, yeah. some people will still go along the party line and say, okay, I'm going to do what party says. But in August, on, on August 8th in Ohio, a lot of Republicans and a whole lot of independents showed up and looked at their party's endorsement and saw people like Mike DeWine saying vote yes. And they said, I'm not voting yes. This is cheating. This is wrong. And they voted no. And it wouldn't have been this no votes in a lot of the counties where they voted no, if a, if a pretty decent chunk of Republican voters hadn't have also said, no, this is too much. And the thing about this in my little substack I put out there, I think that map is, that's not the map that Sherrod Brown is going to win with, and I think he'll win. That's not the map that he's going to win with, but that's a map that shows you that when it comes to up or down votes on democracy itself or gerrymandering or other efforts yep. to do what they're doing, that there's a there's actually a multi-party coalition that can be put together that says no to this stuff. And that was what was so encouraging about that's the exact coalition of people that is offended when they see people, you know, me messing with the wording of an amendment or breaking yeah. the law to do X, Y and Z. 
And, and I do think there's more than just Democrats that at some point are offended by that. It's not a majority of Republicans, probably. But there's enough but, of them you know, that you end up having a decisive result like we had last month. Yeah, it was fabulous. I think we're over a different hump, too. And this is a, a, a related to the media kind of hump. But for for way too long, for people who've been paying attention, the news has been dominated every day by some outrage of Donald Trump's or of of his, you know, the MAGA crowd. I think the country now knows who they are. Right. And we don't have to spend all our time proving that they are who we think they are. They've told right. us, and I think people know it. And that puts us in right. a different place because now we can talk about what we're going to do about it. Right. And you know what's funny is uh, along those lines, I was speaking in a, Repub- in a pretty Republican county. It's swing, but Republican. It's called Portage County, where Kent State is, okay? And yep. it's a, because the university, it's got, it's got some Democrats there, but this is a county that largely votes red. And when I was speaking, and this was a, the, three days before the August 8th election, we had this great rally, and some guys came and started interrupting, so angry, yelling, screaming. Um, and it was this confrontation for a few minutes. And it was like, like you said, okay, he's a MAGA guy. And we, we you know, a couple of the, of the people who were against this, you wanted the crowd, kind of got in his way. He finally walked away, screaming, sputtering mad. And it was really memorable how mad he was that all of us were simply saying, we think every, we think we should be majority rule state. But like you said, we also kind of used to it. And you know what's funny? That county voted no. So all of his anger and all of his spazzing, he didn't reflect the majority of his own county with all that anger. And the point is, okay. And, and as I said, I said, when I, cause I had the microphone, I said, sir, you know, you can you can say what you think. We just think, and, and if fifty percent plus one of people think your way, then we think you should get your way, but not not what. And what was funny was later on, I thought that's funny. That guy was so angry in his own county, but against him. So yeah, they're out there. We know they're out there. But keep plugging forward, keep moving forward, keep explaining what's happening. And I think when the question is called, if it's called clearly, and if we have a fair playing field where people get to vote, I think over. This is my broader point. Their extremism does not do well on Election Day. That's why we've actually had a lot of counter-cyclical wins in the last year and a half. We're supposed to be losing most elections when we have the White House. That's how it's worked for decades. But we're winning the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, August, you know, our August issue, the Kansas yep. referendum. Their extremism is not good politics. And so if they keep it up and they don't change and we see through and fight through the obstacles they're going to put up, I actually think that, as I say, next year is not just an opportunity to re-elect Joe Biden. But it's an opportunity to run everywhere and to start yeah, really places that we often are. It can be yes, it can be. Yeah. Only though for smart enough, we yeah. only re- we don't I mean, realign by simply beating Trump. We realign by running at all levels and starting to win in places where they've been extremists for too long, but haven't been challenged in all those places for too long. Yeah, I mean, a, a radical um, activist Supreme Court is helping us too by virtue of just being so out of touch. On, on issues that, that Americans yeah. care about. So let, let me yeah. um, not talk about current politics for one second, because mm-hmm. you're the only person I know besides me who has been haunted by ghosts from the 1870s. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Every once in a while, I have a, I have a historian on this show and we talk about Reconstruction, the, you know, the Opelousas and Colfax massacres and the determination of the Southern power structure to hold on even after the Civil War. 
you've been lately back in that world talking about the rise of Jim Crow and you, you know, you're such a good writer that you sort of make these things, um, these stories resonate. And I wonder if you just talk about why you're focused on that time and why it's relevant. Well, you know, the reason it comes up and what it does for me is I teach this course on it. And so every year I teach it, I, I re-review my thoughts, my, my cases. And just like we can't stop being outraged about what we're dealing with now, we should never, and this is why the censorship is so dangerous, we should never not be outraged by, by what happened after the rise of a diverse democracy after the Civil War. And then the absolute destruction of it through violence, intimidation, and and all sorts of just horrible politics that took, you know, and I, I go through this in some of what you, you're talking about. You know, you had a majority, you had more black voters and white voters in Louisiana in the 1870s. 30 years later, 128,000 black Louisiana voters was down to 700. Uh, similar wipeouts in other states, you know, 50,000, 80,000 voters down to 3,000 in states like Mississippi and South Carolina. And it's just so brutal and it's so painful. And, I, and one thing I try and do is not just go through the numbers, but think through, because we, we like to have, and I, I, don't do, I don't do this to be negative, I do it to make sure we all are eyes wide open that democracy can be attacked successfully. That's what happens. And I think about the lives of, of, of a young black man, let's say, born in the 1860s, teenager in the, in the 1870s. And let's say he was in Louisiana or one of these other states. As he looked around, as tough as I'm sure life was, and as much discrimination as he faced, all around him, he would have seen black elected officials. He would have seen 60% turnout in a presidential election of black voters. Um, he would have seen a, a black Supreme Court justice, either in his state or another state, a member of Congress, uh, a black member of Congress in the South every year for 40 years. And when that man, when that young man reached the age of 40 or 50, because of everything I've described, all of that would be gone. I mean, literally, no officials left, nobody voting. Election day just went by and black voters weren't part of it because they were knocked off the rolls or killed or hurt because of it. And I just try and think about what those – I think it gets more real when you try and think about what life looked like. And then think about this man one more time. 80 or 90 years old, maybe he lives to see Jackie Robinson play baseball. And as Jackie Robinson plays baseball, all the, all the younger generations are celebrating. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about when he was eight. He had elected officials who were black mayors and, again, state house members. And so he's probably excited about Jackie Robinson, but it's also probably a reminder of what the old, old world had looked like that he lost. And I, I say, I go through all that because I really think that I was a history major and I never taught, I never really saw or learned that. And I think the reason, one reason we have sort of let our guard down in recent decades on democracy is we've come to believe that it's just there to stay no matter what. It's sort of part of who we are. And the lesson of the era that you and I are clearly both obsessed with is that's not true. If you, if, if, if there is a group that is consistently and effectively attacking democracy and those who care about it don't fight back hard, constantly, the side attacking democracy can win and lives can be upended because of it. And that's why I try and, and here's the worst part in some ways. So many of the tools and so much of the narrative that led 
to what they did in the 1870s was about voter fraud and myths of voter fraud that these new black elected officials were somehow all corrupt and, if all, and the white ones were all magically good. And that's why they needed to suppress the vote. That's why they added all these tests. And what are we here today? All the same nonsense. It's the same narrative that they are using now with new strict voter IDs and new this and new that and purging and gerrymandering. It's the same stuff. And it's coming right back. And one reason why those who are censoring history do so, I think, is to not allow anyone to see that this has all happened before. And it's actually worked before. So we better know that history and we better fight very, very hard not to let it get repeated. Yeah, I am like you. I'm haunted by this, and I am determined that I, that unlike the white folks in the North in the 1870s who said, you know what, I want to get on with my life. I'm not going to pay any attention yeah. and let this lawlessness. I mean, remember, we had the 14th Amendment, we had the 13th Amendment, we had 15th Amendment. We had the laws were ignored by these people, which is. Um, uh, when we let them ignore them, which is why today when Alabama says, yeah, we don't care what the Supreme Court said, we're going to ignore the law, it rings every alarm bell. It in- does. It does. I went through the case actually last week. Um, maybe it was, it, no, it was last week. There was a case out of Oklahoma where, I don't know if you saw this, but they had this grandfather clause where basically if if your grandfather was able to vote in 1865 in Oklahoma, then if you were in 1910 in Oklahoma, you got to vote, too, and you didn't have to take a literacy test. Yeah. But if your grandfather couldn't vote then, then you had to. Basically, if you're black, you have to take the test, and you're going to fail. If you're white, you get to skip it. Yeah. And the Supreme Court struck that down. Good for them. In 1915, the Supreme Court of the state said, that's discrimination. We're not going to allow it. A very rare victory for voting rights champions in 1915. Well, the, the state house, literally within months, just like Alabama just did, the state house of, of, of Oklahoma within months passed a new law that said, hey, anyone of you who's grandfathered in before, don't worry, you're all still registered. And any of you who wasn't, you have 12 days in a certain period of 1916 to register, and you're fine. And if you don't, you can't vote for the rest of your life, okay? So it was clearly just outrageous repeating of the grandfather clause. And the Supreme Court struck that down. But you know when they struck it down? 1939. So the defiance of the court ruling led to 24 more years of injustice. And so that was one of of the tools of Jim Crow South legislatures back then. You just ignored the court orders or you made a tiny change that you knew would still have the same effect. And that is exactly what Ohio got away with last year. And that's exactly what I sort of got away with when they they delayed things with that Moore v. Harper case. And now they have a front of the Supreme Court. And that's exactly what Alabama is trying to do right now by basically sending back a map that still has only one district of its majority minority when there clearly should be two as a Supreme Court ruled. So, yeah, it's the same pattern. They are behaving the same way as the worst of our country's history uh, 100 years ago. So this is why um, the work that you're doing at Blue Ohio, but also you're exporting it around the country, telling people they have to take this fight everywhere. They can't just, you know, get bigger majorities out of Chicago, right? Or out of right. out of Cleveland, if, if there's still voters left there. They have right. to, they really have to go and talk to neighbors. We I mean this is Labor Day, right? Labor celebrates a movement. Right. I had a guest on earlier. You I think you would have loved this. Um uh 
Michael Waldman was on and he's the uh, he wrote a great book about the Supreme Court, but he also runs the Brennan Center. And he really yeah, said, well. yeah, d- Democrats have focused on uh, on rights almost exclusively. And there's nothing wrong with rights, but their Democrats used to focus on something else more. And that was social progress and social justice and economic justice mm-hmm. and creating the creating the movements that would bring people up together. And rights were right. part of it. But I think we outsourced right. the hard political work to the lawyers and said, just do the rights work. We'll be fine. And what you're right. doing every day Correct. is saying, no, 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 no. We need to do the hard political work that focuses on the outcomes again. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's funny. You just you just mentioned I just went biking earlier today. I was in a pretty red county and I, there was a big sign around the weekend. Proud union home. And I, re- and I just said, good. And and I think about that with these um, with these counties that, again, voted no because we went out there. These these just just to give credit where credit is due. These these county parties, uh, the Democratic parties in these counties work in these red counties work really hard to get some of those results because they are they, they was such a clear threat to democracy that people are really you know fighting hard. Uh, and I think we do have to go out there. And in one one way, I'll put this sort of in a way that's um, sobering. And of course, I don't say this to minimize the need to defeat Donald Trump. Obviously, we cannot let him win. But if all we do, you know, the, uh, my theory is that the heart of their agenda, the heart of the right wing extreme agenda, is basically running through red districts of Republican state houses that we generally don't even oppose. So 50 percent of Tennessee Republicans unopposed, 60 percent of Oklahoma, 42 percent of Texas, you name it, 42 percent of Georgia. That's where they're doing all their damage. And if all of you is and, and, and damage is working, I mean, I think of it. They're on offense, kicking it, kicking the goal. They're scoring again and again and again. We're not even playing defense against the players shooting the goals. OK, we're just not even there. If Biden wins. And if we win the Senate, but we haven't started taking on. Those shots, you know, none of that stops. So winning the, the federal is, is necessary, but not sufficient to stop what they're doing. And what happened after 20 was, yes, we beat Trump and we needed to beat Trump. But when we, when we didn't pick up a single state house and we still left unchallenged in 22, half of their crazy people that are doing all these things, we're not making progress against what they're doing. Uh, especially when, if we're in power, like we were in 2022, we check ourselves. So we have to see that, that only winning at the level that we largely focus on, Biden versus Trump, of course it's needed, but it's not enough anymore. We have to get into the spaces where they are, challenge their extremism where it's happening. And by the way, there was a story, I can't remember, I'm, I'm forgetting what county this was in, just a few days ago. And it's a great example, a, 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 a true sort of very election-denying county commissioner who was appointed in a very Republican area, lost to a Democrat for the same reason those election-denying Secretary of State candidates lost. The person was too nuts. You'll never get those wins if you're not running in these places. This was a total shock. And so we have, if we want to interrupt their attack on democracy, only beating Trump is not enough. We have to get to where they are sort of leading their charge, which is these these right-leaning districts in state houses that we too often don't pay any attention to. And we, we win the federal seats, and we think we've won it all, and they keep right on doing what they're doing because we we're not winning. We're not even playing defense where they're on offense. 
Yeah, and we and and the real effect of this is that we can't make people's lives better while they're doing this in states. And there are people totally. all over the country who deserve better than the grift they're getting. Absolutely. And that's I, I um Tony, I'm about to do this for Labor Day. You show me a gerrymandered state, and I will show you and this I think your previous question as well. I will show you unacceptably terrible public outcomes. Stagnant wages, schools not supported, falling apart. Ohio was ranked fifth in the quality of our public schools 20 years ago. Now we're in the mid-20s. Infrastructure, small towns collapsing, health outcomes terrible. Once you have a gerrymandered state house where the people of the state are not sort of, in the end, the, the people of the state house politicians care about because they're reelected no matter what. They're, yeah. they're running without opposition half the time. Once you have that lack of accountability back to the people, their motivation isn't really about public service anymore. It's a corrupted form of service. Their service is essentially, and I tweeted about this the other day, and all people around the country said, wow, that sounds like my state. Their, their motivation is basically take things, take public goods, take public assets, and fork them over to the private players who keep us in power. You know, give, the, give the public school money. To the, to the private for-profit school companies. Give the, give the public money to the energy companies a bailout. You know, give the payday lenders what they want, have the citizens pay for it. On and on again, if you watch these state houses closely, they essentially are, they're not public service, they're the opposite. They're using public goods to serve sur certain private yeah, players. Privatized gains, socialized Right, by diverting the, the, the public money from its purpose the public outcomes are cratering. And that's why, to me, the best campaigns right now in these areas aren't talking about the democracy stuff, although you could talk about it to some degree, but it's tying back the lack of democracy to the results that everyday people feel, like four yeah. days of school a week in some states or higher, higher taxes because they've taken the, the, the state money and given it somewhere else, or in Ohio, we have the worst student debt um, burden in the nation in the state of Ohio. Because they're underfunding it, so it's made up through tuition and student debt. So there are so many ways you could connect back, and that's how you start to do better in these elections. When, you, as you said, make it about democracy is a backdrop, but then show people that that lack of a functioning democracy with no accountability to people is really affecting everyday issues they care about. And that's why you have, I think, a Democratic governor in Kansas for two terms. She made it all yep. about Sam Brown back destroying public schools. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, the other side of that argument is a beautiful thing, which is that democracy works. I mean, now you see where you erode the democracy, life gets worse for people, which is a, just a mm -hmm. fabulous argument that that if people are participating and they are part of the civic political life, then there are better economic outcomes for everybody. Um, and it almost explains, really, besides race, why the power structure that, that was there in the South and that is gerrymandered there in Ohio, why they do not want democracy, because, uh, you know, then you end up having to share. Yeah, I mean, it, if you feel accountable to the public because you have, let's say, fair districts and fair elections, you have a motivation to improve public outcomes. So you're going to do things like lift schools because that's how you get reelected or lift wages or broaden health care. Yeah. 
But if you have no connection back to the people and you literally are reelected or reappointed because you have no opposition time and again, you, your entire motivation there is no longer about public service. It doesn't really matter if the outcomes are as bad as they are in states like Ohio or Iowa or Tennessee. So, so yeah, you're, you want a po- political system that aligns with lift, lifting public outcomes. And what we have in these broken states is there, there is a total disconnect between public outcomes and getting reelected. And, and the bigger connection now is those politicians do better by serving the private interests that want the public pie for them. And yeah. that's why we see these nonstop, you know, Ohio, again, the biggest donor to the Republican Party for a number of years in a row was a massive for-profit private school scam. All, and this is the irony. They, you know, Republicans now rail on, on the couple years, or it wasn't even a couple years, but on the time that the kids were home from school on their computers because of COVID. For almost a decade, that was the that was the main driving education policy of Ohio Republicans because their biggest donor was running a virtual school at home. Yeah. And so now they're right. saying we didn't like it during COVID. They sent kids home. The school was almost as big as Ohio State University for years. And this guy made thousands of dollars every time a student left a public school and signed on to his computers at home. And it turns out, we found out later, these kids' educations were destroyed. It took money out of all the public schools. But again, the, that is a perfect example. Their MO was the public school money was the piggy bank for them to enrich their big private donor, and that's exactly what they did. And even when they knew it was a failure and the public outcomes were terrible, they kept doing it because, again, their motivation is more about that private school operator than it is the broader public outcomes. And even parents back in their districts figure out what they're doing, well, they get reelected no matter what, so they don't care. It's a perfect symbol of how how they're operating. Hey, David, I just it's worth saying because you and I are very invested in uh, uh, in the Democratic Party and its values. But in fairness, I live in Illinois. Uh, the chief of staff of the former uh, uh, House Speaker was just convicted the last week. Um, d- Democrats can be guilty of the same crimes. And the, the, the points that you're making are enormously important and valid and not partisan. And I just don't want people to think of us as, look, it's all one side, it's never the other side. Uh, the, the country's got to understand that after Obama got shellacked in midterms, when Republicans gerrymandered, they did so with perfected technology for gerrymandering, yeah. and they built a majority that no one's ever seen before, and then they defended it with every rotten trick in the book. I, I, it has nothing to do with partisan. It has to do with just yeah, this is the moment we're in. I agree. This comes up a lot to me. I mean, intense gerrymandering is going to lead to the results. If, if you have a system with no accountability, it will lead to bad results no matter what. And yep. that's why I'm a big believer in, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, again, there's no most, there are, there's far more worse Republican gerrymandering now than Democratic gerrymandering. And when Republican gerrymanders have been caught doing it, like in Ohio, they ignored the law that the rulings. The New York Democrats, when they got caught gerrymandering, actually followed the law. And that's one reason you saw George Santos and others get elected. So yep. there, there was a moment of lawlessness we saw on the Republican side where got caught and they basically went along with, with the ruling. So there's not a both sides. But, yeah, if, if you have a highly gerrymandered system where politicians feel no accountability, you're going to have – 
maybe a different type of problem, um, but you're going to have poor governance. I completely agree. This is the other reason why I think the best solution here, although I want it gerrymandering in Ohio, is if the, is if the U.S. Senate and the next time we have the House pass a law that says no one do it anywhere. Because yep. once you, you, you want one standard, because the other thing that's happening right now is, well, if, if no one has a standard, then you have a race to the bottom. You know, New York State thinks that Ohio is going to gerrymander, so if they don't gerrymander, they'll lose. And so the best result would be if you had finally Washington say, we're going to write rules that no one can gerrymander. And here's this is going to be partisan for a second. And last time that came up, Democrats supported it, Republicans didn't. But you had 50 Democratic votes. Now, Cinema and Manchin wouldn't go along with stopping the filibuster, and no Republicans would support that. But I, I think that in the end, gerrymandering, lack of accountability, will breed corruption and will, gre- will breed poor public performance no matter what. And I, I agree with that. But I'm Democrats are have- more intense about solving it if you're close to than Republicans, and I hope Republicans figure out. And by the way, the other thing that's interesting here is gerrymandering is also not partisan in another way. In states like Ohio, gerrymandering has actually attacked and neutralized a whole lot of Republicans. This is extremist gerrymandering at the expense of moderate Republicans. And the reason they draw districts that are super that are so one-sided is they don't want to have close districts where a moderate Republican says to his more extremist caucus leader, hey, I'm not going along with that. I, I will lose. So in, in many ways, if you're listening, if you're an old moderate Republican, like, let's say like my dad is, gerrymandering has been That's used funny, by too. the far right of a party <laughs> to get rid of the more centrist part of that party. And, and, and that's happening right now in Ohio. Right, I was just tweeting with a, with a state rep in the last hour. He's all excited. This guy, I don't know him very well, but he believes that they're going to use gerrymandering another round of it to get rid of all the moderate Republicans that work with Democrats in the last session. So this is a tool that isn't just about R versus D. It's about no accountability whatsoever for those in power. And it's about it's about people far more extreme than their state who actually don't want voices of more mainstream Ohio, be it Democrats or Republicans being in office to challenge them. I mean, that's really what it's about. Yeah, it may destroy the Republican Party, and it may already have, because those those more moderate, those right of center, but not crazy Republicans, they don't have a home right now. No. And they're the ones in Ohio last three weeks ago. They're the ones Mm -hmm. who who teamed up with Democrats. And who who was included in them? John Kasich, Bob Taft. They voted no. They led the charge. The former chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, longtime Republican, former attorney general, Betty Montgomery, Republican. They are part of the group that gerrymandering has pushed away from their party. So that's why I think just broadly, it's a problem no matter what. And I'm happy to say that And some Republicans think I'm only saying one side here, but I do think Republicans have been much more aggressive lately with it. But I also think they're using it against their own as much as they're using against Democrats in a lot of these states. Yeah. Hey, David, we've run over, and I really appreciate your taking the extra time on this holiday weekend. Um, it's really good. To, I, love, I love our conversations. Yeah. I pre- no, I really appreciate you and I are on the same page on so much, and I, I love getting a chance to talk to you, all your listeners. Yep. All right. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Okay. Take care. You too. See ya. Yep. 
uh, folks, we're going to take a quick break um, and then 773-763-9278 in the time remaining. I'd love to hear from you. 